Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Well, today we're going to share the Word of God. We're going to talk about no greater joy today. And so if you have your Bibles with you or your phone or your iPad or you're just going to look on with me, we're going to be going to 3 John. 3 John is just like a few verses and it's right there toward the back of the New Testament, all right? Now, while we're going to 3 John, let me introduce someone to you here in the Bible that you may not have known this person's last name. You may not ever have known their last name. You may not even known they had a last name, okay? Uh, but... It's a, it's a man called John Boanerges. John Boanerges. Okay, yeah, Cajun, okay, Boanerges. This man was born around the year 6 A.D. He was born in a fishing village, kind of a fishing town. The town doesn't exist anymore. I go there and look at the rocks. But this town that he was born in was the town called Bethsaida. Jesus did a lot of miracles there in that town. He did so many miracles there and people were not being converted. They weren't believing the message even after they saw the miracles. And Jesus said, woe unto you, Bethsaida. You know, and sure enough, if you go there, you can look at it. Woe unto that city. <laughs> he said, if the miracles that are done in this city would have been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have turned and repented in sackcloth and ashes. But you have me, the Son of God, among you, and you aren't even paying any attention to everything that God is doing in your midst. God is moving, and you cannot deny it that He's doing good things, and He's blessing, and He's helping, and He's meeting needs, and you're just completely oblivious to it. You're living your life without any recognition, without any appreciation for all that God is doing, and sure enough, you go with me to that place, and I'll show you a pile of rocks, and I'll show you one of the rocks with an inscription on it that says, Woe unto you, Bethsaida. Because you did not know the day of your visitation. Every generation has a visitation. Every city has a visitation. God has obligated himself to make it happen. Well, John Boan Boanergist, Boanerges, that's hard for me to say. He was born in that little city. He had an older brother named James. Their daddy's name was Zebedee. And they grew up fishing in their daddy's fishing business. He had fishing boats and he had hired servants that helped him in fishing every day. And when these guys were, you know, James maybe was, you know, maybe 20, 25. And it's possible that John was a little bit younger. He could have even been a teenager. Jesus was walking along, and he saw them. They were taking care of their daddy's fishing boat and the nets, and he called them, and he said, come and follow me. They left their daddy's business. They left what they had been grown up to do and what they probably would have taken over, and they began to follow Jesus. 
Jesus led them all over the place. Jesus was teaching and preaching and healing. He was breaking fish and loaves and they were feeding the multitudes. And he was, it was an amazing, an amazing life that he lived. Well, Jesus surnamed these two young men, James and John. He surnamed them Boanerges. John Boanerges. Perhaps the youngest, we believe, the youngest of the disciples of Christ. We know him as John, the apostle of Jesus. John may have been the youngest disciple called by Jesus, but he has the uh, privilege, I'll say, of being the one, the Bible says, that Jesus loved. He is called the disciple whom Jesus loved. In all the depictions of the Last Supper, this is the one that's standing beside Jesus that's leaning over on his breast. Everyone characterizes John as the one closest to Jesus. And John is the one that Jesus spoke to whenever Jesus was on the cross. And he said to his mother, Mother, he said to Mary, Look at John. Let him take my place in your life as a son. You let him become the head of the household as the oldest son should. And John, you take care of my mother. You take care of my family. John took that serious. It ends up that John outlived all of the other disciples. We believe that John probably died at about 94 years old. It was about the year 100 A.D. John had gone through a lot. He had been a witness, a disciple, an apostle. He saw the resurrected Christ. He worked miracles. He, he built churches. He wrote four books that bear his name in the New Testament. John, and then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And also, he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, he saw visions, had visitations by angels, and he wrote what we now have as the book of Revelation, this great apocalypse that is yet to come. Let me tell you something. John was a real man of God. Later in life, John finds an occasion to write a letter to a friend. The friend's name is Gaius. We don't know much about this man but we know that he was a recognized leader in the church some scholars imagine that he was the bishop of Pergamum at some time I don't know but we do know that John made an investment in the life of this man named Gaius John somehow discipled him and made an investment in him and poured the gospel of Jesus Christ and taught this young man how to live and how to think and how to act and, 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 and how, how to serve the Lord. And then Gaius moved somewhere else. John, about a decade before he died, at about 84 years old, he was living in a town called Selkuk. It's in Turkey. It sits right beside Ephesus. Ephesus was the huge Roman port city right on the western side of Turkey today. And it was the place where all the 
you know, Romans lived and the government was, and it was a big, you know, maybe 250, 270,000 people lived in this city. But beside the city, more like a little bedroom community, a neighborhood, you can go there and still see it today, is Selkuk. And many of you have been there with me, and, and Selkuk, uh, if you went there with me, that's where we eat the, the barbecue, right there next to Ephesus, okay? And uh, it's a great place, great barbecue place there. And, uh, but at any rate, right behind that barbecue place is the, is the little hill where John is buried. And many people believe, including me, that Mary, the mother of Jesus, moved with John during the persecution of the church from Jerusalem to Ephesus, to Turkey, and she also is buried in that area. I know that goes against some other denominational uh, teachings, but, uh, you know, what can I say? Uh, so, John's 84 years old. John goes to church one day, and John hears a testimony. In our first Thursday morning, we had testimonies. Man, people sharing testimonies. It was so good. Try the first service sometime. It, is, it, it, it was amazing, okay? 9.30, and it's short. It's only 45 minutes, but, uh, so you don't get the full meal deal, okay? You get the special, all right? But John went to church. How do I know this? We'll read about it in a minute. John went to church, and he heard the testimony of some missionaries, these missionaries had been sent out by the church in Ephesus and they had been going out into other places in the, in, in the country that is now Turkey. Eurasia is what it is known in, in, in that day and still today. And it go, uh, they were going out and they were evangelizing and, and, and they were trying to get Gentiles born again. But, you know, they didn't want to take any money from Gentiles for preaching. They wanted to be able to go out and preach and not, you know, try to take up an offering whenever they're having an evangelistic service. But yet they had to eat and they had to have lodging and they had to, you know, have expenses. So John had written a letter and had sent it with them. But in one certain city, there was a man who, although he got the letter, he wouldn't receive them and he wouldn't help them with the church money. He said, nope. He said, anybody else in church, help, church helps these people? They come from John and we're independent, we're not apostolic. <laughs> Can you imagine that? But we're independent, and we don't, you know, we don't follow the Apostle John. The Apostle John has no authority in this church. And this man in the church named Diotrephes, he, uh, you can read about him in 3 John, uh, he, he said, nope, we're not going to help these people. And, I, and in fact, anybody in the church that helps them, I'm going to put you out of the church. Wow. Well, John said, I'll deal with that later. But this man named Gaius, who was a part of the church in that city, he took these missionaries in and he helped them. He supported them. He encouraged them. He gave them, you know, what they needed. And he sent them on their way, financially supported them so that they could go and continue to preach the gospel without having to receive an offering from those that they were trying to get saved. Okay? And that's still a good idea. When these men sent word back to the church in Ephesus that they had found support and they had found encouragement, they had had some problems with diatrophies, but this guy named Gaius had helped them, 
Well, John thought, man, that's one of my, one of my you know, guys, one of my disciples. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write Gaius a letter. And I'm going to tell Gaius, now this is all being done by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God knew that more than Gaius would read this letter. God knew that the church 2,000 years later would still be reading this letter. And so God's inspiration in the Apostle John helped him to pin this letter with what we embrace as the word of Almighty God. It wasn't written in chapter and verse. It was written as a letter. This 84-year-old, only living apostle of Jesus Christ he's been through a lot he's seen a lot and he's going to teach us a few things today are you ready we're going to read just a few verses it's a short letter but we'll read about you know two-thirds of it maybe let's begin in verse one he's writing to his friend Gaius the elder that's what John calls himself isn't that neat (laughs) he wrote the old man the old guy that's what it means It means the old guy. How would you like to start your letters like that? The old woman. (laughs) There are a few of here that are qualified to do that. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers for i rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you just as you walk in the truth i have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth beloved You do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. You do it for people that you know and people you don't know. You know, you you do it because of who you're doing it for. (laughs) You know? Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. They, They came back and shared before the church just how just how faithful you are if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God you will do well because they went forth for his name's sake they weren't just going out to do something they wanted to do they were going out for the cause of Christ <laughs> and you sent them forward in a manner worthy of God I love that I love that you know when we do things when we do things when we reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ or we send others out to do the work of the Lord we ought to do it in a manner that is worthy of God you know when we worship we ought to do it in a manner that's worthy of God whatever we do in word or deed we ought to do it all in the name of Jesus giving glory to God and the Father by him worthy of him he says because these missionaries went forth for the name of Christ they didn't take anything from the Gentiles we therefore ought to receive that word receive indicates support it doesn't just mean acceptance 
It means that we bring them in and we, and, and we treat them like us. And, and whatever they need, we meet their needs like we meet our needs. Therefore, we ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Every time we help somebody else share the gospel, we are co-laborers with them in Christ. And we ought to do so in a manner that is worthy of God. And notice is taken by heaven and also by others as to how we treat the gospel of Jesus Christ and those who serve and share that gospel. Now, remember this morning that the Word of God was written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just a historical record. It's not just an account of what happened 2,000 years ago in Turkey. Rather, God uses that to show us a roadmap for our lives, what we also ought to do. This is here for our sakes, not for their sakes. John wrote a letter to his friend who had helped missionaries on the field when others in their same community would not help them. When other churches would not reach out, when other churches would not embrace, when other churches would not entertain strangers, when others would not do anything except what they could control. Here, Gaius and Demetrius, later on, if you read the rest of, the, of, 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 of that letter, you can find that their heart was open to be supportive to those who were sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, to those who were teaching and preaching and evangelizing, so that... They could continue to do it without having to do it for money, without having to charge to have a crusade. Hello? All right. You know where we are. Instructions for our lives today. Three things we're going to share in the next few minutes. Highlights from this particular passage. The first highlight is the fact that it is the will of God that we prosper in all things and be in health. Now, do not allow anything else to overshadow this truth. Don't allow your personal experiences. Don't allow popular opinion. Don't allow any other suggestions. To enter your mind that would make you detour from what this letter, anointed by the Holy Spirit, inspired by God, written by John to his friend Gaius, who was a worker and a fellow laborer. Although he, Gaius, had not gone into that mission field, he did go through the lives of those whom he sent. And because of that, John declares the will and the revelation of God. This elder John, this guy was an old dude. And he had been serving Jesus a long time. It had cost him everything that he had. He left his daddy Zebedee and left the fishing, you know, uh, you know a lifetime ago. As a young man raised in that little village of Bethsaida, raised to be a fisherman, and all of a sudden he finds himself and still finds himself on the forefront of all that God is doing. Perhaps the most prolific writer of the New Testament, the, the, the heart of Jesus was in him. He... 
He had been given Jesus' family. He's seen a lot. He knows a lot. He, more than anyone else, is credible to say what the will of God is. And it is definitely the will of God that you prosper in all things and that you be in health. That's the word of God. A second highlight we can get and gain from this passage we read is that there is no greater joy than to hear that your children walk in truth. There's no greater joy. I don't know of any greater joy in my life than to hear that my children, my biological children, adopted children, and stepchildren, you know, of, of, of the spiritual children, that they walk in truth. There is no greater joy and that, 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 than, than to find that your children walk in truth. Now this word truth here, it's speaking about the objective truth, not the subjective truth. Okay? Not truth that is subject to your experiences. But rather we subject our experiences to the truth. Okay? What is truth? Well, first let me say to you that there is a truth. <laughs> there is one truth. That's the truth. <laughs> the truth is there is a truth. And the truth is not different for you than it is for me. There's not two truths. I know that popular opinion says that your truth and my truth may differ, but that's not the truth. That's just popular opinion. What is the truth? Well, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. That's the truth. <laughs> Nobody gets to heaven. Nobody lives a joy-filled eternity unless they come through Jesus Christ. That's the truth. Woo! That should sober us up. Jesus is the truth. There is a truth. Jesus is the truth. Truth is not determined by a show of hands. Do you remember whenever on the day that Jesus was to be crucified, the crowd was offered an opportunity to vote? on whether they wanted to let him go or crucify him? Is he your king? Is he not your king? And they all voted saying, we have no king but Caesar. That was not the truth. It happened to be the vote, but it was not the truth. Truth is not determined by a show of hands. Stack up 10,000 people on one side and one on the other. And if that one is standing in the word of God and the others oppose it the Bible says let every man be a liar and God be praised truth is not determined by popular opinion you know some places Jesus went he was popular other places he went they wanted to kill him but that didn't change who he was that can't change the truth popular opinion glorified opinion is not truth Many times people glorify their opinion trying to deify their opinion. 
and imagine that their glorified, deified opinion must be truth. Well, it's not unless it agrees with Almighty God because God is the truth. Social acceptance does not determine the truth. Just because it's socially accepted does not mean it's true or right. If it's not true, it's not right. That doesn't mean you're going to stop it, but it does mean it's wrong. That doesn't mean that you're not going to enjoy it. That just means it's not right. It doesn't mean that God hates you and he's going to send you to hell. That just means that it's wrong. And you shouldn't do it. That's the truth. The truth doesn't have to be mean, doesn't have to be hurtful, it doesn't have to be accusatory, critical. It doesn't have to be judgmental. But it is the truth. I mean, who am I to judge? But I am able to share the truth. And the truth is not based on social acceptance. The truth is not determined by personal preference. Boy, this is some good preaching, isn't it? <laughs> That's the truth. Personal preference does not determine the truth. Individual experience. You know, whether you are born again or not, your experiences don't determine the truth. The truth is, Jesus loves you, wants to forgive you and save your soul, whether you've experienced that or not. That's the truth. The truth is, telling the truth is better than lying. That's the truth. Whether you lie or tell the truth, it doesn't change the truth. The truth is that telling the truth is better than lying. That's the truth. The truth is, giving an honest day's work for an honest day's pay is what you should do. The truth is, cheating is wrong. That's the truth. Now, whatever you do, do what, cheat on your income tax if you will. You probably won't go to hell for that. But it's not right. I know it's income tax time, isn't it? Okay, well, let me tell you the truth. Cheating is wrong. That's the truth. Long-established practices don't determine the truth. Scientific research does not determine the truth. The truth is not determined by archaeological discoveries. Just because they discover something that proves God, no, it doesn't. God was God before. That scientific research does not prove truth. It just finally accepts it or rejects it, but it doesn't change the truth. Religious institutions don't determine the truth. The truth is not determined by religious institutions. Okay? If a religious institution tells you that you do not have to be personally saved in order to go to heaven... That's not the truth. They can't determine that truth. If a religious institution tells you that it's okay to sin, or if you give me $200, then you can go commit adultery and it'll be okay, that's not the truth. Truth is determined by God. And there is no greater joy... 
than to know that your children are walking in truth that is above social acceptance, that is above personal opinion, that is above personal experiences, that is above someone else's religious ideology pressed upon them, but that rather they stand in truth. There is no greater joy in life than to know that your children walk in truth, that they're not deceived, they're not lied to, that they're not just following some socially accepted popular opinion or that they followed some show of hands and they've canvassed their friends to see if it's okay for me to do this. But rather they've gone to the Word of God and accepted the Word of God as holy and true. That's what John is writing to Gaius. You see, Gaius is having to stand up against something that his church has decided was wrong. Diotrephes said, we're not going to let these young men in here and we're not going to support them. And anybody that does, we're going to kick them out of church. Diotrephes says, you can't determine what truth is for me. Now, I love you and I respect you and I enjoy going to church here. But let me tell you something. You can't ask me to violate the Holy Spirit and to violate God and to violate truth. We were doing well right up to that point. Hello? Hello? The church can ask a lot of things, but it can't ask you to sin. Well, truth does not change, by the way. Malachi 3, 6, if I am the Lord God, I change not. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus is the same today as he was yesterday and will be forever. Truth is greater than glorified opinion. And we should not filter truth through our subjective opinions. The subjective opinion of man is not truth. But how wonderful it is to find that a friend or a family member is walking in truth. How wonderful it is to look out there and see the refreshing attitude of someone that has embraced a love and a joy and a care and is willing to share that, willing to give, willing to put themselves out there, willing to go against popular opinion, willing to go against social acceptance, willing to stand up for the truth without criticism, judgment, without rejection and condemnation, but just simply letting a light shine in their life that this is truth. It may not change what you do. It may not change how you act. That's, that's, that's okay. That's not for me. Okay? It's just truth. Okay? Number three. Number three. We will do well to support those who share the gospel truth. That's what he said to Gaius. He said, listen. If you send these people forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, he said, listen now, you're going to be co-workers with them, fellow laborers with them. It is good. He said, you will do well to support those who are sharing the gospel in places that you may never go. Now this morning, I want to make sure that you understand what John was writing. And do you understand what we're saying? Truth, there's not a truth for you that's different than a truth for me. But you are the one responsible for your life, not me. You're not responsible for the person sitting beside you. You can't get them to heaven 
and you can't take them to hell. Every person is responsible for their own life, their own actions, their own decisions. I think that's wonderful the way God set it up. We don't have to be shy in sharing the truth, but we have no right to bring condemnation, criticism, or rejection to others. We have no right, we have no reason to think that we are perfect and other people need help. Because the one thing in our lives that might not be sticking out to us might be sticking out to God. Might be sticking out to others. So, when asked, we should always be ready to encourage with the truth. Not with, you know, personal preference, not with experiences, not those things. We, we, we should be. And we should always let our light shine and never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? But we should never share the gospel as though it were some whip that we're, you know, out on some vengeful, you know, uh, uh, journey or adventure trying to find those that we don't think is perfect so that we can, you know, beat them a little bit. It's important that we understand God wants us to live a prosperous life. He wants to bless us. Please don't be afraid of sinners. You won't get anybody saved. You won't help one person if you don't get around somebody who needs some help. But when you do, be kind, be loving, be caring, but please don't be shy about the truth. Please don't enter in to their lives to support something that cannot save, that cannot help. Gaius was willing to do whatever he needed to do, not, not in an ugly way, but he was willing to just let his light shine. I'm going to ask you to do the same. Live a prosperous and a healthy life. Teach and live truth. There is no greater joy than to see family and friends standing in the truth. Perhaps you could be the joy for others. Support the Word of God and support the work of God. His last admonition to Gaius was to tell him that when you support the work of God, you are entering into the labors of every person that you encourage and help and send forth. You can do that. Make sure that you support the work of God that you stand in the truth and that you hold on to the fact that God wants you to prosper in all things and be healthy. That's the will of God.